So I'm really excited to be talking to you about this topic right here. It's really near and dear to my heart because I can tell you that stress absolutely kills. It kills both in the short term, it can kill long term, and it is a very, very real issue in today's society. And heck, we even have a have a leave named after it. And that's uh, that to me is a is a big issue. But there are some things that we're going to talk about here that you can do that are like super effective. And it's not even just mumbo jumbo or Daryl pulling this out of his butt kind of stuff. This is this is scientific. It, it's it's biological. It has been proven time and time and time and time and time and time again. Kind of get the idea, I'm sure. So ships don't sink because of the water around them. Ships sink because of the water that gets in them. Don't let what's happening around you get inside and weigh you down. So goes back to our conversation around circumstances, right? It is what it is. And so now stress oftentimes is actually a reaction. And what we will be talking about in this is moving from a reaction mode into a response mode. And in my transformational leadership program, we spend a lot of time on moving from reacting, so being triggered, right? You've seen that meme, uh, from being triggered to actually responding. And once you can figure out how to respond instead of like, being triggered and flying off the handle, that's where the true power comes and that self-control. And when we talk about stress, you don't have to automatically get stressed out. It's a default setting, yes, but there are some very specific things we can do to respond to stress and not react to it. And that's what we'll be covering off here today. So what is what is stress? Very broad term. Stress is a physiological uh, reaction or um, result of a threat. Now, a lot of people think it's psychological, and it is to a certain extent, but literally at its core, stress is physical. And what happens with stress is that uh, a whole bunch of chemicals get dumped into our system, and cortisol and, and adrenaline, and just the, the list goes on and on, a whole bunch of hormonal changes, and those cause some real impacts physiologically. So non-vital body systems shut down. So things like the digestive system shuts down, the immune system shuts down, the blood starts to go to the larger muscle groups. Neurologically or psychologically, the the, the blood starts to, to focus on the survival part of the brain and not the prefrontal cortex, right? The, 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 the CEO part of the brain. And, uh, you know, a whole bunch of other things, you know, the blood leaves the, the skin, because it two things one it's it's going further in and plus two obsessively so that if we're in a battle we don't we will bleed less and if you go back to it stress actually is a beautiful thing and we'll talk about it in a bit more but it is actually fantastic i wouldn't be able to be driving my suv right now coaching hockey or dealing with my kid or going for walks or doing this if we didn't have stress in our ancestry, if we didn't have it as part of our DNA. And we'll talk about that. But where it really comes from, and, and what I mean by that is, is more specifically back in the day, uh, my caveman ancestor was uh, was faced with a lot of physical threats. Right? Saber-toothed tiger is one of the cliches. And so if you think about it from a human perspective, I didn't have a lot of physical kind of advantages over a saber-toothed tiger at all, right? So. This stress thing was, was was installed in us because it's designed to give us really fight, flight, or freeze. So all of this adrenaline gets dumped into our system, 
and we so that we can either fight or we can bolt or sometimes we get so overwhelmed and we freeze. That's really what's happening here is it's designed in this initial confrontation with the saber-toothed tiger to deal with a short-term, typically physical threat back in the day anyways. And so now the question comes up with regard to, well, hold on a second. We don't have a saber-toothed tiger anymore. Uh, dumbass, right? Totally get it. I've gone to the zoo. Well, when we could, when we were allowed to actually go outside, I went to the zoo often and uh, did not see a saber-toothed tiger. So you are correct on that, but we'll be talking a little bit more about what stress is and why we still have it. Here's the thing. The threats have changed, right? Credit card bills, loss of job, family problems, uh, family illness, uh, overwork, list goes on and on. All of these, what we would consider non-physical threats, non-saber-tooth tiger related threats, those have changed, but our reactions have not. That is so important. Neurologically, physiologically, we see a threat. Anything that's a danger to our normalcy or, or homeostasis, we see as a threat. And so as a result, the subconscious says, well, threat fires up the old stress hormones and everything like that. And then it prepares us to fight, flight, or bolt or freeze. So that's what's really important is the threat has changed, but our reaction has not. And so we still have this thing there. And so we need to figure out how we can move from reacting to responding to it. So what are some stress reactions? Tunnel vision. We've got irritability. We've got procrastination. We've got freezing. We've got shutting down. And I'll talk about each of these. Tunnel vision is an actual thing. If anyone has had it, um, I know I've experienced it pretty extensively in terms of emergency response and emergency management where, but it's actually sometimes a good thing. If you think back to the saber-toothed tiger days, right? Let's keep leveraging going back to that. Because if I have the saber-toothed tiger and, and I'm confronted with this, the last thing I wanted my ancestor to do was be like, oh, you know what? Oh, it's such a beautiful horizon. And just see how the sun's setting. Oh, that's just beautiful. Or, wow, you know, the, the wind's just blowing in from the that direction because I don't think they had east, west, and north, south back then. Yeah, guess what? Sabretooth Tiger was like, yeah, thanks, thanks, dude, but uh, I'm going to eat you. So tunnel vision is a very specific thing, and it is a physical uh, narrowing of the field of vision because it gives us that focus. Irritability is something where it's really the body is respect, re reacting poorly, essentially, to any kind of disruption. And so it doesn't really know how to handle it. So one of the things that our subconscious does is, is it, it knows that a good defense is a good offense. So it, uh, it can, you know, you can blow up, you can yell, you can do all those other things. Procrastination, it's fear, ladies and gentlemen. That's what it is. Procrastination is nothing but fear and avoiding some sort of discomfort. That's what it is. Think about it. When you procrastinate, why? Well, you don't want to do something. Why not? There is a something uncomfortable about that. Maybe it's going to be too much work. Maybe it's going to involve a difficult conversation. Maybe it's going to be, um, you know, something that's going to make you uncomfortable. So of course, as human beings, we're hardwired to avoid pain and move towards pleasure if we can. So that's what procrastination is. That That's a stress reaction. Freezing and shutting down, right? And we see the shutting down a lot. And there's a, a nerdy term that we call auditory exclusion. And that is absolutely amazing to see and hear when you do, we call them after action reviews uh, on the emergency management side where, you know, if there's a fatality or something, you can hear over the radio a lot, you know, and, and it's like the radio call is coming over and over and over again. Everybody can hear it. 
accept the people that need to because they have shut down or they have become so overloaded. And we'll talk about that here shortly. So now think back to the last time you felt stressed, right? What were the circumstances? Curious about that. You know, when did you feel stressed out? What were those overarching kind of circumstances around it? And notice I put stressed in quotes, and there's a particular reason for that, because we actually aren't stressed. We have experience or we have feelings of stress. We are reacting to stress. We have stress reactions, but we are not stressed. Just like we are not angry, just like we are not happy, we are not frustrated. We are human beings feeling stress, stress feelings. We are human beings feeling anger. We are human beings feeling happy. That goes back to, again, that self-coaching model. But what were those circumstances? Why were you feeling stressed? And if we look a little bit deeper, this is where we want to go. Perception of control, lack of control. That is such a big stressor because remember, uh, you know, think about that perception of lack of control. That is such a huge stressor to human beings. Because if you think about it, last time you were under stress, chances are you didn't give power or control away. Chances are you brought it in because that is what the subconscious wants. That's what is comfortable. We will, it's kind of a misnomer that we will rise to some heroic level under stress. It's not it at all. In fact, we go to our lowest level of effective training and experience. And there is no greater stress or often no greater stress than this perception of lack of control. And that is so important. So as a leader, think about that. Are you putting your team and team members into a situation where they don't have any input, where they don't have any control over? So that will automatically drive stress up. Judging someone or expectations can be stressful where you expect them to be one way, but they're not. And I've talked a lot about navigate from where you are, not from where you wish you were. Oh man, I wish I could, you know, make a billboard out of that. And maybe someday I will, or maybe I'll do a GoFundMe. Navigate from where you are, not from where you wish you were. Newsflash, I would much rather be on one of those huts in the Maldives there, you know, the huts on the ocean, uh, no offense, right? I love talking to everybody here, but I would much rather be in the Maldives. I would much rather be in Mexico where Dawn goes all the time. I would much rather be in a whole bunch of different, I would much rather be able to call Mike McFadden up or my buddy Dean or Mark or Candace and say, hey, you know what? Let's go for a beer and we don't have to be two meters apart. Yep, totally. That's my expect, you know, that, that, that's what I would expect. That's what I want, but that's not the reality. So suffering is actually in that gap where I have an expectation and then there's the reality of it. And here's where the suffering lies right here. This is the part that sucks. And so the expectations around, well, you know, they should be this way, but they're actually this way. That stresses us out. That pisses us off. And so if we can figure out that whole expectation piece, then, you know, we can go a long way. So that's off, often a stressor. And just feeling overwhelmed. Man, you know, if you're like me, you've got a, a to-do list and then you have another list of things that you're, you're supposed to do. And then you have a whole bunch of lists, another list that is things you want to do. And you, that just keeps piling up. So feeling overwhelmed, which kind of goes back to lack of control, right? You're out of homeostasis. You're, you're not in control of your own life. You're not feeling in control of your own destiny. And that causes uh, causes a lot of stress. Maybe there's, there's probably a whole bunch of other things, but suffice to say, stress is actually a little bit deeper. 
right? And I was talking to uh, Colin Boyd, a mentor of mine who's literally an expert in communication, literally. And um, we were talking about why public speaking is so frightful for people. You know, it's right up there with the fear of death. And, and one of the reasons is it is the ultimate in some people's minds. It's the ultimate exposure of being judged. And we all have this deep seated kind of issue, no matter how much work you've done, you still have this underlying issue or this fear that are you enough? And so when you're exposing yourself into situations, you're being vulnerable, man, oh man, those can be tough. So those are stressful right? You're being judged. Am I enough? Uh, and here's a bit of a newsflash, folks, just between us. People actually think way less about us than we think they do. Like seriously, folks, get over ourselves. Really? Like I don't think about everybody all the time. Sorry, no offense, but, and nobody thinks about me either. And that's okay. No harm, no foul. But Anyways, I digress. So let's talk about, this is a, a really interesting picture for me in that um, this is taken from Pine Lake Tornado in 2000. Uh, so middle, mid Alberta. And uh, tornado ripped through this campground and um, you know, a whole bunch of devastation, all those other things. We responded and I'm literally, this picture was on the front page of our local paper, the journal. And um, it's it's really interesting because I'm literally in the picture. Uh, so I'm I'm the dude in the sexy orange pants and the orange vest with my hands in my pocket, sunglasses and, and hat. Um, and I remember, so we we responded down there and got the call. I don't remember if it was around five or six or something, maybe six or seven. I, I don't exactly remember, but the call from our local detachment, RCMP detachment, and uh, hey Daryl, like, yeah, you're like what's going on, man? He's like, oh man bad it's bad we think there's many as 100 people missing and it could be in the lake like we we don't know where they're at because this particular campground was right on the lake so we're like all right well we spool up and and that's where this you know the whole self-coaching model 99 to 100 people whatever they're presumed missing well i'm not going to get wrapped around the axle around that quite yet because i've got a job to do i have to be kind of emotionally detached it just is so we go down there and um so I, I beat our team into the command post. And by beat, I mean, you know, they stayed just outside the perimeter. I went in to receive a briefing. And the way it was set up was we couldn't, I couldn't see the, uh, the campground yet. So it was just on, uh, just down a, uh, a hill. And the command post and, well, command post, which was a whole different conversation, but uh, we're all up on the top of this little hill. So I go in, I get my briefing, I talk to, you know, friends and colleagues and they give me my briefing and everything's great. And I'm like, okay, sounds good. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll fire some crews off there. So I, I leave the command post. I talk to a couple of our teams out, you know, get them in, into the perimeter now. And I thought, you know, shoot, I should probably just check this place out, right? Like I haven't even seen it. And here I am going to be telling people what to do and all this other stuff. So I walked over the crest of the hill and I'm not exaggerating when I say I, it took my breath away. The, the devastation, you could see that the tornado, cause it had just gone over the hill and it ripped down and cut this almost perfect swath of, um, you know, right through this, this, um, campground and trailer park. And you could see just, you know, like in the, in the picture here, just utter devastation. This is just a small kind of view of it. And then across the lake, you could see cut perfectly right through the row of trees. It was like, and then 
you can see exactly where, where the tornado hit. And it looked literally like a war zone, literally like a war zone. And I thought to myself, wow, wow. And the technique that I've learned over and over to, to use over and over is the technique I'm going to be talking about here next. But I'm here to tell you that, um, you know, it was, uh, it was tough. It was really, really tough. So that was my first experience. And I've recognized that experience in most search and rescue missions, most uh, disasters I respond to, if not all, uh, even uh, you know, in the corporate environment as a project manager for many years, and I'm going into a particularly heated conversation or a presentation or something, there's that initial stress or feeling of stress and, and overwhelm, which is completely normal. But the, the message there is that there are ways to overcome that, and that's what we'll be talking about here. And so when we talk about what stressed you out, what are your most common stress reactions? And, and you know, I'm not going to ask you that here, but give that some thought. What are your most common stress reactions? For me, it's typically irritability. For you, maybe it's something else. Maybe it's shutting down or it's excessive use of humor or something like that. But think about that. So now as leaders, how do you deal with stress then? How do you regain a state of calm and maintain it? Therein lies, lies the real challenge, right? So I'm going to give you two techniques or two tools. One is the HALT method, which is a little bit more of a proactive method, which I think is super, super critical. And uh, anyone that's done some work internally around stress management or occupational stress injuries will recognize the concept behind this. And then there's another technique that I'll talk about in the moment using a defeat the beast of stress five-step method. So let's, uh, let's get into that. First one is do not make a big decision when... You're hungry, right? Have you heard hangry before? Yeah, hells yeah. So think about that. If you're really hungry, don't make a big decision. And these are simple. Don't make a big decision when you're angry. Don't make a big decision when you're lonely. And don't make a big decision when you're tired. So halt. So if you're finding yourself getting amped up or, or upset or, or ticked off, figure it out. Are you hungry? Are you angry? Are you lonely or tired? And if you can, put the conversation or the decision off until you're not hungry, until you're less angry, until you're not as lonely, until you're not tired. Maybe it's give it a, give it a good sleep. So remember that. That's a big watch out for you. If you're any of these things, try to avoid big decisions. So that's more of a proactive that will avoid the sense of overwhelm that can sometimes happen. But here's the method I really want to talk about because, uh, man, oh man, I can pontificate for hours on this. So let's talk about what is that kind of pathway uh, to leading into feelings of stress. So an event or circumstances causes us to feel, quote unquote, stressed. Right? So remember, we're, we have feelings of stress, but we aren't stressed. We're not stressed out. So as soon as we say I'm stressed or I'm stressed out, that takes away all of our power. It deprives us of the ability to process. So if you're feeling, if you're having a feeling of stress or having stressful feelings, then that's okay because that actually now allows you to detach a little bit from it. And we get into a lot more detail in my leadership program. I'm not going to deep dive too far here. Then that invokes that fight or flight response we talked about if the chemical hormones are dumped into our system and, and so on and so forth. And then our higher brain functions decrease and our heart rate increases, breathing increases, tunnel vision, all of those other things. And now I just want to talk a little bit about something else here. And we call this the stress curve. So Let's look at this. So when I talk about the higher brain functions decrease, heart rate increases, and so on and so forth. So on the left axis or the um, 
y-axis you see performance and then on the x-axis you see stress right okay so let's take a look at what this what happens here now there's going to, going to be something really really important to drive out of this conversation so let's say that we have low levels of stress and uh, so what will happen is our performance will actually be pretty poor It'll be really, really bad, actually, because we just don't have any skin in the game. So you're going to see things like boredom. You're going to see complacency. You're going to see, if anyone's worked in a fire hall, man, oh man, this is where you're going to see the practical jokes. You're going to see all of those other things, right? So now let's say that we start to turn the dial up of stress, okay? So we start to turn that up a bit. And what you'll see is our performance will actually increase because as we turn the stress volume up, we will react accordingly because remember, we're, we're now galvanized to action. Now, what you're going to see, though, is something really, really important here. We call this peak performance right there. That's at the top of the apex. So we're going to see peak performance. We're going to be what we call in the zone, right? I think we've all heard that term. You're in the zone. Okay, so that's great. That's where we've reached that optimal level of stress and our performance reacts accordingly. Now, let's say that we continue to turn that stress volume up. This is what we're going to see. So what's important to recognize is we've drawn a curve here that goes up, 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 and then it goes sharply down. And this is what I call the emotional and the cognitive danger zone, right? So now... Once we've reached that peak performance, we're in the zone. If we continue to turn that stress volume up, we will actually crash. And it will not be a gradual, oh, look at a nice little landing. It won't be like that at all. It will actually be a crashing and burning. Now, what's happening here is that essentially now we're talking about we've become overwhelmed. And we're talking about now where the, the human body, the subconscious can no longer process information. So what happens under stress, and this is the big, big problem when we talk about leadership, is that under stress, it becomes a matter of survival. So the CEO part of our brain, that, that prefrontal cortex, the part that's responsible for all of our decision-making, all of our good communication, all of our figuring out relationships, how you know, causing and effect, all of that stuff that makes us human, that goes out, that leaves. CEO packs up his little briefcase and leaves his, his brain office and says, okay, cave person, you're in charge now. This is a survival issue, issue. So that's what happens if you've thought about why can't I communicate? Why can't I think under pressure and under stress? That's why. CEO has left the building and the cave person, the primitive part of our brain is now in charge, which is what a way it's designed, but... It worked really well in Sabertooth Tiger days because who cares about the square root of 64? Who cares about being able to make a wheel? Who cares about any of that crap, right? I got a Sabertooth Tiger here, dude. Like, got to figure that out first. Well, as we've evolved as human beings, what makes us human is this prefrontal cortex, the CEO part of our brain, which makes us really, really smart and better. I shouldn't say better, but different than the rest of the animal kingdom. But that goes away under stress, and there now lies the big problem. So when we talk about the performance curve, we all get there. We all get to the top. But man, oh man, it's, uh, it, it's, it's a crashing and it's a burning as we, as we move forward. So let's continue down now. So we've talked a bit more about that. So here's the process. Recognize you are stressed, right? You're feeling stressed out, whatever that might look like or wh whatever that might feel like. So now if we were to 
look at the next step here, right? So when I went across the, the, the cusp of the hill, this is now where I pause. I need to pause, take a little bit of a break, and then I'm going to take two deep breaths minimum. That's it so far, right? Not rocket science. If you can't do this, I don't know what to tell you. Recognize that you're having feelings of stress. Pause. So pump the brakes a little bit. Take two deep breaths. And not these like BS, like who cares, right? You got you to gotta take a lot of breath in. You got to expand your lungs. And you got to be slow about it and be deliberate. Hold that breath in just a tiny bit and then exhale. Do that a couple times. And in my own experience, that happens, that helps most of the time. Not always, but most of the time. If that still doesn't work, now you can pull out the big guns, right? And, and we call this box breathing. There are so many different terms for it. There's mindful breathing, there's yoga breathing, there's slow breathing, there's all sorts of different things. But what box breathing is, is essentially breathing like it's a box. And so let's take a look at what that looks like. So now let's take a look at what this, uh, what this means. So box breathing is very straightforward, right? If I'm teaching it, it means, and if I do it, it means it's like pretty simple, right? Very, very simple. So we've got this. What this part is, is we inhale for four seconds, okay? We inhale for four seconds. We hold it for four seconds. Okay, bonus question here, folks. We exhale for four seconds, and then we wait for four seconds. That, folks, is box breathing. That's it. That is it. So let's take a look at that again. We inhale for four seconds. We hold it for four seconds. We exhale for four seconds. Now, the kind of the pro tip is that you inhale through your nose, hold it, and then you exhale through your mouth. And then you wait for four seconds. And that is, folks, what we call box breathing. That's it. That's it. It's not very difficult. Now, I would recommend starting a little bit small. Uh, four seconds, maybe you can. But uh, but maybe start with two seconds, start with three. A friend of mine, he is um, he spent his lifetime in, in the military doing extremely high-risk things, things that you'd literally read about Um in the newspaper and there's an extremely prominent one that uh, he was involved in that um, the entire world was uh, was kind of in on right after it happened and may have involved a crashed helicopter. But anyways, I digress. Uh, he does seven seconds, seven seconds, man, I'd pass out. But that's, uh, but that's what you can do is you can build up. And it's to the point where it, it needs to become subconscious. And again, we call it mindful breathing, mindfulness, whatever that is. Um, and here lies the, the, the real benefit to it physiologically and scientifically is it literally, literally triggers what we call the parasympathetic uh, para uh, nervous system, PNS, not to be confused with the other thing that sounds like PNS. I digress. So that's really, really important because it, it works physically. So stress invokes this one system called the sympathetic nervous system and SNS. So that's like putting the, the, uh, your foot on the gas and, and getting ready to fight, flight or freeze. The parasympathetic system is the one that's responsible for pumping the brakes, putting the, putting the big parachute on, stopping the horse, whatever that is. And one of the most effective and immediate ways you can do that is by doing box breathing, because by slowing your breathing down, that's telling the body and the brain, and there's some nerve things happening that says, okay, 
all right, we're going to fire up this other system here. And that's what is happening with box breathing. And then the last step here, as you can see, is you evaluate and repeat if necessary. So if you're starting to feel, have feelings of stress, go ahead and do your recognize, you know, recognize that you're having feelings of stress, pause, take two deep breaths. Like I said, a lot of times that's the one that, that, uh, that works, that gets fixed. But if it still doesn't work, then start doing your box breathing and then evaluate and repeat. That's your, that's your, your five steps, folks. There it is. And uh, if you get into the habit of doing that, you'll see your stress levels drop both in the moment. And I'm a huge advocate or proponent of if we can handle stress better in the moment, we will see far less longer term impacts of stress. So we'll see a lot less uh, prolonged effects of stress. We'll see a lot less occupational stress injuries and all of those other things. Because if we can, um, if we can handle it in the moment, then we are going to be way better. Here's the other thing too, folks, especially in high-risk environments or if you're a leader and you're making large decisions, high-stake decisions, this is what kills careers. This is what kills people is our inability to handle stress. So, so important. And and I've just been giving you two very solid techniques that I use and um, are proven to work. So that HALT method, avoid the big decision if you're hungry, you're angry, you're lonely, or you're tired, try to avoid making a big decision then. And if you're in the moment, do this. Recognize that you're having feelings of stress. Pause, take two deep breaths minimum. And if that doesn't work, start box breathing and just repeat. So when I talked about coming over the crest of that hill, right, in Pine Lake, two deep breaths. Uh, okay. And then the other thing I add into that is, hey, you got this. You got this. And then you just go to work. So hopefully this was valuable for you tonight. So thank you very much for your, uh, for your time and your effort. And uh, thanks for joining tonight. And have a great rest of the night, folks.